You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. Which leads us to a big principle, and that is what I call the healthy paranoia factor. Um, that's one of my favorite quotes. Just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Um, uh, healthy paranoia, um, you know, Napoleon Hill, in the work that went into Think and Grow Rich, found 17 um, characteristics held in common of all the successful people, and one of them was he identified as accurate thinking. Um, uh, and that, that is dealing, again, dealing with reality in a positive way, but not ignoring reality, trying to be a positive thinker. Uh, and so healthy paranoia says you deal with reality. I'm going to give you one example that nobody likes to deal with. Um, it came out of some experience I had, I don't know, 10 years ago now. For several years, I worked with the um, number one expert in uh, retail theft control, supermarket convenience store and drugstore businesses. And um, there's, a, uh, there's a belief amongst the public and there's a belief in the industry that their number one theft problem is shoplifting, you know, us nasty customers who come in there and steal stuff. Uh, that's not their problem. 80% uh, of their theft is internal, not external, and 80% of their theft is divided pretty evenly between their employees and the people who deliver stuff to the stores. Um, they, the delivery people, steal the stuff back that they deliver after it's been inventoried in, and, uh, and they also steal other stuff while they're there. So like the guys that deliver the cigarettes uh, we'll have a hollowed out cigarette carton that they can fit a bunch of cameras in. Um, and so they'll steal cameras. Uh, the beer guys, the best story I can tell you, this beer, this little convenience store was on record as selling hundreds and hundreds of cases of beer a week, but there was no money. The owner finally had the place staked out and here goes the beer guy and he wheels in one thing of beer crates and yells to the guy behind the register checking him in, five cases, wheels out the back door, wheels around the front, wheels the same five cases in, yells five cases, does this five times, checks in 25 cases, leaves five. He's now got 20 cases that he can sell for cash uh, to his buddies or to a friend that runs a bar who'll pay him cash under the table, et cetera, et cetera. So delivery man theft is, is half the problem, and then employee theft is the other half. Um, and, and here's what I learned from that business, and it is absolutely positively research-supported true, but it's something that nobody likes to deal with. And that is that there are 5%, there are basically 5% of the adult population will not steal. Uh, that's losing, that, that's, I'm gone. That's not helping me, I now have no sound. One, two, okay. Um, there's 5% of the people who will not steal. They are wired so they can't. They will starve before they'll steal a piece of bread out of a dumpster without going and asking if they can have it. There's 5% of the people who steal whether it's necessary or not. They are compulsive. They must lie, cheat, steal all the time in everything they do. Uh, for no benefit whatsoever, they will lie, cheat, and steal. They just cannot tell the truth. They, when they bury them, they screw them in the ground. Uh, in between, in between, the other 90% are, 
all of usins, probably, most of usins. The other 90%, which includes everybody who works for you and every vendor who sells to you, will steal given three circumstances. Here they are real quick, just this is not the main point, but here they are. They will steal if they believe they can go undetected, they have a perceived need. And by the way, if you put 500 millionaires in a room and ask them how many need more money, 499 hands go up. Um, and they can rationalize the behavior. Now, here's the trick to theft control. You can't control two or three. You can't, you can't, you can't impact, you cannot control their ability to rationalize it. You cannot control, no matter how much you pay them, you cannot control the need. The only thing you can possibly control is whether or not they think they can go undetected. The illustration of the seminar we always use is if mama just baked 24 new cookies and she and Johnny are the only ones home and she's going to run down to the store to get milk. If she doesn't want to meet any of the cookies, here's, the, here's what she must do. She's got to take Johnny into the cookies and she say, there's 24 cookies there, see them? And you and I are the only ones in the house and I'm leaving. And the first thing I'm doing when I come back in the door is count the cookies. If there's anything less than 24 there, you're it. Then Johnny won't eat. But under any other circumstances, she's going to come home and find cookies gone, and Johnny's not going to know nothing. Oh. And so you, the same thing's true with employees. The same thing's true with vendors. Now, that's, a, that's fact. But what you get from everybody is all of the denial stuff. Well, my employees would never steal from me. We're one big family. We love each other. My employees would never steal from me because I pay them more than the, and all of the other reasons that everybody wants to ignore this information because it's painful and unpleasant information. But if you want to run a real sound business, then you indulge in healthy paranoia instead of denial and you implement count the cookie systems for everything you have in the place. Um, it was not particularly important to me at the time, but um, when I had a fairly large company and a bunch of employees, which Steve will remember, um, one time we figured out that at the rate we were using toilet paper, <laughs> now Steve was a bigger boy then, but, uh, but still, at the, rate we were, at the rate where we were using toilet paper, we must have zero productivity because everybody's got to be in the john all day long. Uh, obviously, the toilet paper is walking out the back door going home. That's where the toilet paper's going. Now, at the time, I, didn't, I had bigger fish to fry, but it's true in every business. And so there's all of these little unpleasant pieces of information that are true and factual and real that fall under the category of healthy paranoia. Um, in the speaking business, uh, healthy paranoia rule number one is have anybody work for you, odds are the ad agency business the same, they will leave you at some point in time with your client file under their arm and will pursue all of your clients. Uh, it's a given. And so now you can try and control that or you cannot try and control that, but you, gotta, but you can't say to yourself, well, it's not going to happen with him because he grew up with my brother and they went to, oh, it's not going to happen with her because she has no ambition, she'll never leave me, it's not going to, no, it will. And so the smart business person uh, functions with the bad news, not the good news. There's three things that I say you never delegate. Number one is the checkbook. Watch the money. Um, umpteen numbers of Hollywood personalities and celebrities and athletes and business people can all tell you horror stories 
Uh, I will tell you one quick one. Um, friend some years ago has a company. They're doing millions and millions of dollars a month in business, and they're getting further and further behind in paying their bills. He can't figure it out, but like many of us, he's so busy running, doing, selling, that he doesn't have time to really figure out this problem. Uh, his lifelong friend who is running the money has at peak 23 ghost companies that all have vendor sounding names to which he is diverting all of the money. And when finally the bubble bursts uh, and the vendors won't, the real vendors won't deliver anything anymore and the company comes to a grinding halt, lifelong friend of 30 years is gone along with about 11 million dollars. Um, happens in small offices too on a smaller scale. Uh, you got to watch the checkbook. If you're not going to sign every check, you ought to at least have your nose in it once a month, look at the stubs, see who's been paid, how much, see if you recognize some names that are unfamiliar to you, amounts that are weird. Don't delegate the checkbook. Don't delegate the marketing. It's the highest payoff activity there is. You cannot make more money doing anything else than doing the marketing. And so it just drives us marketing guys crazy when we hear from a client, well, I'd like to do all that stuff, but I don't have time to do that. Well, what else are you doing? That's the business. Well, see, no, the business is putting stuff on the shelves and uh, going out and running errands every day from noon to two and uh, whatever else. No, the business is marketing. You don't delegate that. And you don't delegate the legal. Um, as ugly as that is, uh, you ought to know what they're doing. Uh, don't just, uh, you know, the worst thing you can ever hear from an attorney is, don't worry, I have it under control. Uh, not good. Not good at all. Um, in dealing with your experts, here's a biggie. I call it the core competency factor. Uh, a lot of people get themselves in trouble this way. Here's, here's the deal. The temptation is when you find somebody who's really smart, has legitimate experience, and is really helpful to you in one area, to suddenly give them credit for being equally smart about a whole bunch of other stuff, which they are not. Uh, very few people are good advisors about everything. Uh, I try not to talk to you about stuff I don't know anything about. But there are a lot of people I know who are cheerfully happy uh, to talk to customers, clients, and audiences about what they know a lot about and what they don't know a lot about and with no difference between the two. Um, there's a guy, I'm not going to say his name because you would know him too, but I noticed that last year uh, he was speaking at two high-priced seminars and one of the things he was talking about was how to do infomercials. Now this is a direct response guy with great qualifications in his own area of expertise. However, in seven years, he's only produced four shows and all four of them were instant, deadly, fatal flops. He has no more idea how to do an effective infomercial than I do, you know, about how to cook dinner. I mean, he'll never pull off a successful infomercial and I'd starve if I had to cook. Uh, and I got no business doing a cooking class. Um, and he's got no business talking about infomercials, but because he's really smart over here, people will listen to him about that too, thinking he knows something. He doesn't. And so, <clears throat> as you deal with people who help you, 
uh, it's important to get a grip on what I call their core competency factor. What they do really, really well, what they have legitimate track records connected to, uh, what you should be listening to them about, and then the other stuff that they talk to you about, you either ignore it entirely or, you know, listen to be polite, but pretty much you don't give them much credit. Uh, and you got to sort out the two. Um, I'll do that because we're out of time. I'll do that either. Um, I'll just throw this slide up there. By the way, everybody's bugging me for the slides. I'll talk to you about that in a second. Um, I'm not going to spend any time on this, but I am going to put it up there because a lot of people mess this up. Um, <laughs> enough said. Huh? Uh, enough said. Uh, moving on to money for a second. Here's a cartoon I love. Look at that. I'll read you the caption. You can't read the caption. The guy's got the eye shade on. See, he's a little accountant. It's up to you now, Miller. The only thing that can save us is an accounting breakthrough. I thought that was a, I thought that was a good. I thought that was a, that was a great cartoon. It bring, brings us to a couple of money things. Here's 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 here's, here's the first one. It, a lot of people mess this up. I did once for a while. As the owner, your job is to get money out, not to put money in. That thing's supposed to be spinning off money, not sucking it up. Um, and you do not want to leave all of your money in your company. Not a good thing to do. Uh, which, which brings us to another issue, actually two issues. There's a whole lot of people in business who do not under, really understand the difference between gross and net. Um, and the, the difference can be fit. I had an early mentor uh, who basically I was in business with for five years, and here was his business philosophy. His business philosophy was, if there's enough gross, there's got to be some net around here somewhere. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, that taint necessarily so. Um, and some businesses, by the way, uh, can go for long periods of time doing huge grosses with no net before it catches up to them and kills them, but it inevitably kills them. Um, and, and really, his attitude was the solution to everything is more gross. And that is the solution, actually, to very few things. Uh, most problems that, are in, that exist in a business multiply when you multiply the gross. They don't go away when you multiply the gross. They just get bigger themselves and feed on the problem. Uh, there's a whole issue of comparing numbers, you know. People uh, want to compare the gross sales numbers. Uh, in the speaking business, everybody wants to compare the number of dates they do every year. Uh, in direct response, everybody wants to compare response percentages. All, none of those numbers count for nothing. Net is the only number that counts. Um, and it is not uncommon to see individuals or companies getting awards and enormous recognition uh, one year and having them be out of business the next because that number was not a good number. Uh, and you'd be amazed how many clients don't know. Or they know, here's, here's what a lot of clients know. They know the net from the whole business, but they cannot tell you nets when you bust up the business. They cannot tell you which is the most profitable thing they do, which is the least profitable thing they do. They don't know. They can't tell you. You've got to know. And you've got to continually be killing off the things that don't have good net and doing more with the things that do have good net. The corollary to that 
is, is growth versus net. That's the Jay Peterman story. Is all of a sudden we're going to try and grow this company, and we're going to grow it in four different directions, and we're going to grow it in areas we've never been before, uh, and uh, and it killed them. Uh, I was involved with a very interesting business some years ago. We had, if you've ever been to my office, um, uh, not that it's anything you know to put on your tour of Phoenix or anything to see, but if you've ever been to my office, well, my theory is money in an office is money not in my pocket. So I mean, it's like a hovel, but. It, 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 in this dump that is an, there's a shelf full of eagles and we at one time were in the eagle business I mean live eagles it tastes like chicken um, I mean see if you got a really astute group one of the ways you can save time is just giving them the punchline you don't tell the joke you just um, the um, um, these e this eagle business, we had a brass eagle. Some of you will remember, maybe, if, you, if it doesn't ring any other bells for you, if you were Success Magazine readers, a uh, third of a page vertical ad for the Dare to Be a Winner Eagle. Today, if we were still in business today, successories would be putting us out of business. But um, we sold hundreds of thousands of these brass birds. Um, but our customers were not consume, not like you buying it to put on your bookshelf. Our customers were like Boy Scouts of America buying a thousand birds at a whack for their awards program. The U.S. Navy buying thousands and thousands of birds. Corporation type clients buying them from incentives and awards. That was a nifty little business. Very profitable at, at a certain level. Uh, one gal ran the whole thing took all the customer calls, processed all the orders, ordered all the stuff, made sure all the stuff was shipped. One employee, uh, one catalog a year, print a catalog, send it out to the customers, income the yours. Everything we did to try and press that business larger lost money. I mean, everything we tried. We did a lot of logical stuff, too. I mean, we thought, okay, it's eagles, right? They want stuff with eagles on it. So we should be able to do polo shirts, baseball caps, engraved briefcases, none of that. They said, okay, these are all sales executives buying from us. That's like 80% of the business. So let's sell them tapes, sell them motivational stuff, educational stuff. Nope. They wanted to buy a brass bird on a wood block. That's it. And that's all, that's all they were going to buy from us. Now, they had in their head, these are the guys we get the brass bird on the wood block from. And we were woefully unsuccessful at educating any of them that we did anything else. Uh, point being. There are some businesses that you can't press beyond a certain point profitably. Some businesses are not made to just continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And when you try and grow them beyond their level of profitability, they turn from winners into losers. Uh, and so growth is not necessarily always an uh, answer. Um, Last thing I want to talk to you about, we actually talked about this a little bit before, but... Oh, they're utter... He asked a question about the valuations of the internet business? They're utter nonsense. I mean, if you're going to start to... If you're going to try and tell me that Amazon.com is worth 30% of what General Motors is worth, uh, you know, we have just been smoking some funny weed. Um, all of that has happened because of the massive influx of rank amateur investors. Uh, who have no earthly idea what they're doing and are easily excited. 
<coughs> and, and there's massive stock manipulation going on because of that. You see, even ordinary businesses are getting huge bumps in their stock if they just announce that they're going to do anything with the Internet. Uh, the most recent blatant manipulation that I thought was very interesting was the Victoria's Secret thing that was done last week. The fashion show on the net, you all read about this? They had, what, 10 million hits or something in, in one day? And this, this was a live... For those of you who didn't see the news story, you went to the Victoria's Secret website, which is like new, they only been up for a couple months, and for 45 minutes or something, they had a live fashion show, which the best description I heard, the, the actual picture image was like this big, and you know, it was like, the best description I saw was in the Wall Street Journal, they said it looked like old bad porno movies with better looking women. <laughs> um, uh, so, but but here's, here, here's the point. That thing didn't sell any lingerie, and it wasn't intended to sell any lingerie. They're, they're not that dumb. What it was intended to do was kite the stock. That's what that was all about. And so there's no value there, and, and in all probability, there's not going to be any value there to support like a company like Amazon. And believe me, I love Amazon, and I hope long live Amazon, because uh, for authors, they're wonderful. But long-term play, nah. There's nothing there. And they're buying market share in a place there is no share. Right? Come in here, buy a fourth of the room, you got something. Right? Go there, buy a fourth of the, what do you buy? It's unlimited. You're buying a fourth of nothing because you can't quantify it. So there's, there's no value there. It's nonsense. Um, and it's going to stay nonsense. Yeah. Well, they know that's brand building advertising like the Budweiser frogs. And there's market share. There's a finite market share there to get. There's a certain amount of beer sold every year, every month, where you compete for your share of that revenue. There's a certain amount of shelf space that these companies compete for. Uh, their advertising helps them get a store to agree to put cardboard frogs and, and the Budweiser logo at the cash register instead of putting the Miller logo there. That It's not my kind of advertising, but it is rational advertising in a particular environment. This other stuff's completely irrational. And in terms of having any value, the va whatever value is created today could be gone tomorrow. It's even a greater illusion than building equity value in a network marketing business, for example, where you don't control the distribution. Yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. So. Well, how can you say that you can't quantify Amazon? Because anything you do on the net is very measurable. You know, how many dollars? Can well, if you want to be if you want to be strictly measurable, then uh, giving them a 20% growth rate for the next uh, every year forever that roughly now they need two decades to make up for their losses. Uh, so we should all live so long. So, you know, so if you want to be harshly measurable in, in their quest to buy market share at any cost, uh, and it fueled by an unlimited amount of capital flowing into them from a bunch of nutcases, um, they, have, they have created losses that are beyond anybody's level of comprehension. And all of that is supposed to buy market share. Now what I say is you can't quantify the market share, say, because it's not, again, like the beer example, there's so many supermarkets, they got so many square foot of shelf space, there's so many places you can put beer. There's reliable sales numbers from year to year. So there's things that you can get a piece of and know what you got. Here, there's no barrier to entry to competition. 
Okay. Like, you know, like this month, for example, there's a big, there's a, a little player that became a big player in the book business uh, on the net. Uh, it's, it's mysteryworld.com, I think, or Mysteries World or something like that. And they now have every mystery book ever written known to man available at their site. Well, in their category, they got four times the diversity of inventory that Amazon.com does. Now, if somebody starts carving up the business, there's no way even Amazon will keep up with them. And they came out of nowhere. There's no barrier for their entry, but they just took part of Amazon's business. How much market share they each got, who the hell knows? So the value is, a, is an illusion. That's not to say that doing, I'm not saying doing business on the internet is an illusion. That's not my position. But what I'm saying is, he asked about the equity value in the business. It's not, it's not there. And you're starting to see some adjustments now. We talked earlier about reading. Um, and in some cases, this is preaching to the converted because you're here. But, um, uh, you know, I have a lot of clients that, like, they, they stopped learning anything new about their business X number of years ago. And um, uh, he, here's my, like, question list for him. Um, what do you know this week that you didn't know last week? Have you gained any information? And if you haven't gained information, someone who is gaining information will eventually take a big bite out of your butt. Uh, the one thing that is truer than ever is things are changing fast. Here are four linked marketing issues. Um, the first is, uh, I'm always um, befuddled, I guess, by small businesses. Uh, well, yes? Okay. I am using a mic. Um, 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 pardon? No, they did everything. They they did everything apparently that they can do. Um, I don't know why this is. Do we know why this is? Bad planning. Bad planning. Get echo. I got you. Okay. I, I understand. I understand. Okay. Because um, uh, we're not going to rearrange the whole room. Uh, my answer is: should have got here sooner. Got a front seat. Um, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do the best I can, guys. But um, the uh, you're, you're going to get Jeff in a little while. He may want to use a handheld. Um, which if you do, then you'll make a few of these people happy, um, who are unhappy at the moment. Um, here are four linked marketing issues. The first is, I started to say, I'm kind of befuddled by small companies that are always in a hurry. They tend to be initially entrepreneurially driven. Everybody knows who the leader is. Everybody thinks they're dealing with a person. They tend to be in a mad rush to become, uh, to look like, if not become, to look like large, nameless, faceless corporate institutions. When all of the evidence is that people prefer to deal with people, not with nameless, faceless institutions. Uh, and the best uh, example of all that, I think, is, um, is what happened at Chrysler with Iacocca. Um, it, 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 certainly the principle of massive action helped, 
and doing a number of things to save the company, but one was something he would rather never have done and hated doing uh, was TV commercials. Uh, but uh, they were vitally necessary to put a person's face on that company and to parade in front of the public somebody that they might uh, trust in a case where they could not and would not trust the company. And uh, had he not done that, I don't know that there'd be a Chrysler here today. And it, it just seems to me that given the choice, you want to do personality-driven marketing, not corporate-driven marketing. Uh, Dave Thomas is another great example. Um, Dave, doing TV commercials with Dave is like agonizing. Uh, he doesn't like it. Um, it takes him 50 takes to say hello. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a painful process, but, you know, they tried everything else, and nothing else works as well as him. Um, so I, I think given the choice, you want to do personality-driven marketing. The second one, celebrity, uh, really has two sides to it. One is, I continually say to people that I think they, in many cases, miss the boat by not linking celebrities, real celebrities, um, uh, 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 be it Hollywood or be it sports, to their product services and their businesses. I think this is a woefully underused opportunity um, and there's, there's abundant evidence that it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, you could not sell that stupid grill without George Foreman or somebody like him. Um, uh, home shopping has discovered nine out of ten products you better have a famous person or they don't work. Um, exceptions are like Ron Popeil's products where the product really is the star. Um, small businesses, uh, local businesses get bumps when they do celebrity marketing be they local celebrities or national celebrities. What's important for you to know about all this is it's not as expensive as everybody thinks. It's not all that difficult to do. There are more of them looking for a paycheck than you would ever possibly imagine. Uh, and when, particularly when you're doing print um, and you're doing regional or local, not national campaigns, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of folks available in the five to $15,000 a year range for like unlimited use of picture endorsement, autograph and then you can get more complex from there. The other edge of this is by all means make yourself a celebrity in your clientele and in your target market. And, and, and by that I mean do the things that celebrities do. Uh, write, write a book. Okay. Uh, that's one. Um, uh, do interviews. Get articles published, um, be visible at major events within the industry, uh, be seen with other famous people, do all of the things that a celebrity does in order to be a celebrity. And there are, in almost every industry, in every target group, there are what I call, and I include myself in a group, famous people that nobody ever heard of. You know, we're in an airport, we're not famous, but it, within our clientele, we are famous, and you probably don't care, and you may not even want to be so famous that you can't walk through an airport. Uh, but 
it's nice to be so famous that you can't walk through a property and casualty insurance convention without being mobbed by people who want to talk to you. That's good business. And, and that doesn't happen by accident. You create it. Uh, this credibility, believability thing is an ever uh, increasingly important distinction to make. And you have to do both. But the credibility thing is less and less effective. It's just mandatory. Um, yes, you have, to, you have to demonstrate that you've been in business for some period of time. You, depending on the industry you're in, you have to demonstrate that you belong to certain associations. It's useful if you've been in business since 1903. If you have, you want to say it. If you've served 24 billion hamburgers, you want to say, I've served 24 billion hamburgers. But all that by itself is no longer highly persuasive in the marketplace. What's more important in the marketplace is that uh, they can identify <coughs> with you uh, or your testimonials uh, in some way uh, that they can believe you. Let me give you an example. Um, in, the, in the network marketing industry, one of the client companies I've worked with in recent years is a company owned by Rexall. And um, Rexall, you all remember, if you're my age or older, the neighborhood drugstore with the little orange and blue sign, uh, and if you go back far enough, soda fountains. And um, at one time, Rexall, well, first of all, they were actually the first company to, they invented franchising in the United States. Um, and at one time, they were the dominant player in the drugstore business. They obviously are no longer that today, but they have enormous brand identity. And with an age demographic of 40 plus, the name has enormous credibility. But what's persuasive for them in recruiting people into their business is all of the testimonials from doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals about how fantastic the products are and about how fantastic the business opportunity is. The credibility alone would not build their business. The believability of these people with whom other people can identify saying, here's the very specific detail how this has worked for me, is more important. It by itself with no credibility might not build the business. But the two linked together have enormous power. Uh, and so you want both. Uh, specialization. Uh, logic tells you specialists make more money than generalists. Um, and uh, we are uh, we're increasingly a fragmented marketplace. Um, network marketing, which has never been an industry prone to specialization, it's happening. A company like Rexall is focused totally uh, on recruiting doctors. Um, there's another such company totally, almost exclusively focused on recruiting dentists uh, into their business. And so specialization is occurring everywhere. In cable TV, it's, it hasn't happened nearly as fast as everybody predicted, but it is happening. You're starting to see stations like the Food Channel and the Golf Channel actually able to survive uh, and support themselves on advertising. Um, and everybody's belief in the industry is that you will, although nowhere near at the pace we thought we would, you will see an increasing number of very specialized channels uh, for people with very specialized interests. Uh, I think it's important 
to appear to be a specialist, uh, even if you are not. You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.